Customer Experience Podcast. Delivering great customer experience every time is really, really hard. If it was easy, more companies would be doing it. We all know that ain't happening. That's exactly where this show comes in. Every episode, we take a close look at companies who are getting customer experience right. Whether it's over the phone, over technology such as social media or apps on your smartphone, or in person, there are some companies who are just really good at this. This show looks at what they're doing differently to make their customers love them and introduces us to the people whose job it is to make great customer experience happen. So if delivering exceptional customer experience is part of your business, this is the podcast for you. I'm Pat Perdue, and I'm glad you found us. Welcome back. Let's talk about creating great customer experience. More specifically, let's talk about customer experience from the perspective of Doug Sandler. You may know Doug as the author of the best-selling book, Nice Guys Finished First, and host of the wonderfully successful podcast, Nice Guys on Business Podcast. Doug is a specialist on helping companies build great business relationships based on the foundation of being nice. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Well, in this episode, we unpack the complexity of what it takes for organizations to focus on doing the right thing for their customers all the time, even when no one's looking. Stick with me. You're going to love this 30 minutes. Here we go. You probably know my guest, Doug Sandler, as the host of Nice Guys on Business Podcast, or perhaps you're among the hundreds of thousands who read his articles on HuffPost. What you may not know is that behind the Mr. Nice Guy exterior is over 30 years of business experience as an entrepreneur and business owner. Doug is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Nice Guys Finish First. He is a nationally recognized speaker and is considered among the top 100 social media thought influencers to follow. I'm so excited that Doug is here because we get to talk about how the art of building relationships is the fuel behind creating great customer experience. So, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Pat. Welcome to uh, welcome to the world of podcasting yourself. <laughs> I, I love it. I love when guys that are in in the same know uh, get to be uh, get to be in the position of being podcast hosts. So, uh, congratulations for that uh, that great great start, and uh, and welcome to the world of podcasting. Well, thank you. And you're you're a little further down this road than I am. So uh, so again, any guidance you want to throw out, cues, tips, whatever. Yeah, stay. <laughs> Stay in the dust field of whoever is ahead of you and watch what they're doing. Do everything that they do. And uh, I mean, you have your own style, but certainly follow what the successful guys have done, which is exactly what I've done. I, I have no original thoughts in my head. <laughs> I'm just following the guys that are a little bit ahead of me, just like I may be uh, just uh, a little bit elder than you, uh, not only by age, but by podcast experience as well. <laughs> well, well, you know, you uh, if, if what you're doing is, is following, then you're doing a really good job of it. So, uh, thanks. so thanks for that. So, uh, and you've earned all the success that you have for sure. So, um, so nice guys, nice gals. What's that got to do with having a successful business? Isn't it about like driving profit? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is about driving profit. The problem is that I think so much of corporate America has lost uh, focus on really what's important. And yes, importance is uh, the bottom line in your shareholders and your stakeholders and everybody that's a part of your organization. Certainly, it's about your clients. Certainly, it's about your coworkers and creating a, a, a proper culture inside the organization. Uh, but at what cost is it? At, does it come at the cost? Of, uh, of not being a human being anymore when you're delivering mm -hmm. your products and services, I always say let's come back to what it takes 
to make our customers happy. If you make your customers happy, you make your teams inside happy, you're going to have an overall positive experience all along the road. And, uh, and that is really what makes it an enjoyable experience, not just about the, the bottom line, but about the entire experience that somebody's going to have with your organization. Sure. It makes total sense. So, so let's say, you know, I hear that I'm a business owner, I'm a business leader and, and I get that. I just don't know what to do. Like, you know, so, so what are some things that I might be able to do to help with that team culture, that company culture that will ultimately uh, express itself in the customer experience? Well, and and I want to use a couple of words that probably, um, probably are cliche style words right now, but they're, they're words nonetheless that have become cliche because they started at some point as the foundation of truth. Words like um, transparency and words like uh, communication and and good communication, open skills and and being authentic. I mean, those are like the biggest cliches that are out there. The issue is that we may say them, but are we actually doing them? So when it comes to transparency, are you actually uh, following the lead that you are um, that you are or the example that you're setting with your customers and your coworkers inside? Um, if you really are a cust- a company that cares about your customers, do you really? I mean, are you are you really getting back to your customers in a timely manner? Are you really available on the social channels that you should be available on? Are you really providing that level of customer service that's exemplary and not just average? You know, mediocre is like accepted by so many people because uh, unfortunately, it is the uh, it's the rule now. It's no longer the exception that mediocre service is uh, is uh, you know it's everywhere. It's rampant, and if we do a better job of becoming exemplary in in returning calls, returning emails, um, uh, responding to our customers, not saying putting people, not saying put them in voicemail, you know those kind of things, not letting an automated phone system take over our life. Uh, in our company, those are the kind of things that are critical. Introduce a little bit more human back into your business. So I would say nice equates to human being, being a human being again with your with your customers and with your coworkers for that matter. Love that. Love that. And it's a continuum, right? You know, what we do with, you know, how we treat our coworkers and our staff is likely how our customers are going to be treated. And, and I 100% agree with that. And I would say that if you start, now everybody always says, let's start with the customer and let's make sure the customer gets what they want. And I agree with that. I think that we should always, you know, have the have the mindset that the customer is the is the one that we have to, to make happy. But if you're not making the people within your organization happy through proper training, through proper development, uh, through proper, um, just the, the environment that you're creating. I went into an office uh, earlier today, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to mention any offices, but um, I go down downstairs into one of the areas where um, some of their more technical people are, are sitting and the environment is dark. Um, it actually, it, it, it was a bit moldy in its smell. And I kept thinking as I'm walking in here, how is anybody working in this environment? And there were a handful of people that they're just so used to it. They tolerate it. They don't even realize that if that is, if that is um, shaving 10 or 15 or 20% off their productivity because of just a miserable work environment that they're, that they're living in, or working in, then that's going to affect the entire experience of everybody that comes in contact with those people. So that that's really important to me. And do you find um, mold probably not being on the list? But are is there is there a common list of opportunities that organizations maybe are missing? Like you're you know you're seeing a lot of companies in your consulting practice. Is there a certain amount of commonality that you can target and and say you know what just just change this? It's going to have a huge impact. Yeah, I would say that if you did one of a couple of things, and I have this program. It's a it's a free program, so anybody's welcome to go to my website and in the search area just push uh, put the um, put the words nice guy thirty. 
Uh, but if you were just to adhere to these principles, return your phone calls, return your emails, be on time every time, tell the truth, and reach out to your customers even when they're not reaching out to you, those five things are things that um, will completely change the face of your relationships with anybody that you're dealing with. Again, whether it's a customer or whether it's your coworkers, how critical is it to return your phone calls, your emails, your text messages, any level of communication that you have with them? Companies today just don't feel as though that is a critical element in building a relationship with a customer. And I think that that's a big miss. I agree. And for companies that get it, they often use that as a strategic advantage and they'll advertise that fact. You know, you see that in their commercials. Yeah, we return our phone calls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's that easy. Well, I think what it comes down to oftentimes, I, I had uh, about a year ago, I was having lunch uh, as a part of a conference with a with a group of employees that work for this this one particular company. And uh, and when we sat down and we were talking about lunch, I was talking about where the bottlenecks are in the work that they that they have to go through. And one of the big areas, which is pretty commonplace within organizations, is the um, is this email this email thing. And I said, what would be an acceptable number of emails for you to have in your inbox before you start to feel a little bit like nervous or antsy? And they both looked at each other and they kind of giggled because it was apparently a conversation that they had had earlier in that day, just coincidentally. And I said, well, what is it? Like, I I can tell you that if I have more than 30 emails in my inbox, I start to get nervous. And they completely lost it with that. She said, one of the the woman that was sitting with us said, she has 900 emails in her inbox. That gives me stress just to hear it. Yeah. And I keep thinking exactly what you just said, Pat, exactly what you said. How much stress and tension and anxiety must somebody go through when they just sit down at their desk to do nothing more than just look at what's new in their inbox. That's right. And then in terms of their time management, basically they're scheduled by their inbox. They, and that it becoming, a, and again, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today, another podcaster, and we were discussing the, the, same, the same topic of at what point does it become uh, too overwhelming for you to, uh, to, to be able to ever get caught up. And if you become a reactionary, instead of being able to be proactive with the things that you want to do, you become somebody that's following somebody else's goals rather than following your own goals because you're so busy. And when we discussed it further, it was a problem. I said, up the email chain. Where does it stop? Who has the empty inbox? Because there's got to be somebody in your, that's where you know where the organization is having their, their troubles. When the emails go high up and up the chain where that person has no email sitting in their inbox, that's the person that we need to target to fix this problem. And it usually goes way, way up the scale to the executive team, the C-level folks. They're fine. They don't see that 900 emails. Now, if they knew that their people had 900 emails in their box, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to try to resolve it or they're going to ignore it. But the fact that they're going to act upon it, very rare that they actually act upon those emails. And you touched on something earlier in this conversation, the notion of executing excellently or, or just, yeah, yeah. Just, just doing a really, really good job. A lot of times, particularly from the C-level or maybe different levels of management, organizations think they are executing excellently. But if you ask their customers, they might say a different story. So how do customers know that they're doing it well? Well, I, what I would probably say to you is the companies that think that they are doing it well that have the opposite of what their what their customers think. So the companies that think they're doing an exemplary job of providing customer service that have customers that think they're doing a mediocre job are are not even listen that means they're not listening to their customers because I am sure that you you know some companies go at this with the approach that we are going to find a problem 
And some of them go at this with the approach of we're going to ignore the problem because we don't want to deal with it. Now, they're not saying that, but that's in reality what's happening. A customer is complaining and they're not doing anything about it. So the idea behind it is take every customer complaint that you have, turn it into a positive. Your customer is screaming at you to help fix the problem. It's giving you such an amazing opportunity. Um, you know, we really don't show oftentimes exemplary service until there's a problem that we can fix. And when we fix it, I think my expression is um, problems are bound to happen. It's what happens next that really counts. And, and really, that's where we have the ability to turn up the gain, to turn up the wow factor, and deliver that experience for our customer that's going to be you know, off the charts good. So why miss that opportunity to resolve a problem with the customer by ignoring it? Sure. And the trick, though, is processizing that success. So I might be thinking out of the box to create this great win, but how do I translate that into part of the ritual or our business as usual as a company? Well, as a system, you, you should create a system that is based upon how do you resolve a problem? And I, and I love the idea of somebody having a problem. That if it happens once and it doesn't happen again, I would say don't create a system over that problem. If it's something that happens over and over again, you better create a system because you know that there is somewhere along the way there's, a, there's an issue that needs to be resolved in a bigger scale. And until that entire bigger scale issue was resolved, keep this problem within the system. You know, returning your phone calls, returning your emails, uh, telling the truth. Maybe it's a sales issue. Maybe it's an engineering issue. Maybe it's a research and development issue. There's a whole bunch of areas that could be, you know, potentially affected. Find out where the problem really stems and, uh, and cut it off at the root. And, and you will find that this problem will no longer happen. And if it does, uh, you at least have a system in place to resolve it. Sure. And I think that speaks to the idea of being either product or service focused, being, being focused on the customer experience. Well, it's got to be about the customer experience because uh, if you are bringing if you're bringing a product to market and you don't think about um, how that customer is going to interact and 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 react to your product, then you're ignoring the the what you do. Your responsibility is not to just to deliver the product to the market. Your pro your 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 what you need to try to understand is get your arms around the entire process from the moment that that customer gets in contact with your brand through the buying process, through the support process, and even after the sale is made and finished because you want those people to refer your business for a lifetime. And how do you get how do you do that? You do that by understanding what the customer journey is throughout your entire process. Absolutely. And I think um oftentimes organizations they will do that and then stop the process as soon as the customer has the product. So they figure that that's done and the, the only further interaction is yeah. when there's an issue. And can I tell you, that's the exact time to turn it up. You know, when, uh, when a contract is, is made and that service is either delivered or they have solidified the relationship through whatever the contract is that they're going to have with that, with that customer, they need to then go to work. That's when I think that the work really begins because what would be easier, to get a new customer or to do more with the customer that you have? It's much easier, much, much easier to do more with the customer that you have than, than gain a new customer. And not to mention much more profitable. And much more profitable because then it becomes a matter of they understand, they put value in the products and the services that, that you offer. They're not just looking at you from a price. They've already gone through the price dance with you already, so it's no longer about the price. It's the easiest sale that you could possibly ever make, and it's one that is ignored so 
often over and over again. Do more with the customers that you have and your and your marketing can uh, you almost could do no marketing. Let your customers do all the marketing for you. <laughs> Great point. And related to that, and it's something that I know that you speak to and introduce in the organizations that you you work with, is that secret ingredient known as care. You know, it's, it sounds like it's like, well, of course, doesn't every organization care? How do you find that putting a focus on care can make a difference in the overall company or organization? Well, when you care about something, you, you have an investment in it. And I look at it very simply. If everybody in your organization feels like they're an owner and they feel like an owner when they're empowered to make decisions, they feel like an owner when, uh, when they have the ability to, uh, to say what goes on within the organization, not just inside the organization, but with the customers themselves, man, what a great feeling when you're a company like Ritz-Carlton and they give you a couple of thousand dollars to play with in order to make the customer experience better. What a great feeling when you're dealing on the phone with a company like um, Zappos or any number of companies that deliver award-winning service and say, I have the ability to answer the question and I have the ability to make decisions. When you can put the script down and you can be a human being and you can make decisions and you can be a consultant for your customer, that's the environment that will really create an impact for the customer experience completely. And I guess that comes down to effective training. You know, if I'm not comfortable enough to put the script down, then maybe, you know, maybe there's a challenge a little upstream in terms of training. And I'll go even one step further, Pat. I 100% agree with you. It is all about the training, or it is a lot about the training. It's it's really about hiring the right people and putting the right people in place to uh, to do that. Some people, um, there's an expression that uh, that I've used over and over again. If success were like water, you could throw it on some people, and they still wouldn't get wet. You know, <laughs> the idea here is that. You need to have an environment where you can train people, but the people have to be trainable. It's it's very hard to train somebody that doesn't want to be trained or is only there to be in a nine-to-five environment and wants to go home. You have to have people that want to take and are willing to take ownership in their jobs and their responsibilities. And if I'm building my team or building out my business and uh, growing my sales staff, what are some things that I can watch for? And I want to recruit well so that I find people that are trainable. What are some things that I might want to consider as I'm looking for folks? You want to have relationship builders. It's pretty simple. If, if somebody can, can string together a, a sentence or two and give you, um, uh, some fe- give you a feeling when you're interviewing them that, they, um, that they're not yes people. You know, when you have people sitting in front of you and you're interviewing people, it's, sometimes it's very challenging because you feel like they may only be telling you the things that you want to hear. But it's interesting. All of that stuff that happens before and after the interview. So let's just say that you have a 30-minute conversation with a, somebody that's going to be become an employee of your organization. 10 minutes before, you have the rapport building. 30 minutes, you have the interview. Five minutes after the interview is over, you have the rapport building again. I would put as much, um, as much weight in that 10-minute pre-interview and the five-minute post-interview than I would in the who cares where the person went to school? You know, who cares about, you know, the GPA and all of that? If they are a relationship builder and they are somebody that's willing to be trainable, teachable, uh, lovable, affectionate, empathetic, uh, tenacious, you know, these are all words of people that I want, uh, reliable, dependable, you know, those are the words that I want to hear them say in sentences uh, so that I feel comfortable with them as an employee. Sure. You know, let's say I'm recruiting and I've got a couple of folks there. Where might you find, and I'm just going to zero in on training just a little bit, if I may, um, because I also think that this is a crucial component in creating a company culture and 
creating a customer culture. Where do you think training either may fall down, so you can approach this in any direction you want, either may typically fall down, or where does training typically succeed? I've got these great people that are relationship builders. What can I do to make sure that they stay relationship builders throughout their experience with my company? That, that's a really great question. And one of the things that we had a chance to talk about, I think you and I were introduced uh, by a guy named Mike Aoki. And uh, you're, you're friends with Mike. And, and I know him through just being a, 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 a guest on my show and through some relationship on Twitter. Some of the things that he was talking about were how important it is to have somebody that is um, th- that is able to be trainable, that that can build a relationship with people. That that uh, it's not just about the script. It is it is all about understanding how relationships are made. And uh, if you focus on just building this script, uh, that's going to be that's bad. You know, you don't want somebody that's just a script reader. You want somebody that actually has a personality that you can that you can go so far beyond. Um, you know, they're, you're empowering them to make decisions. Hopefully, if you're dealing with a good company and training a uh, your training program is done properly through a company like, my, like Mike's. You're teaching your people, hey, I need you to be able to make decisions. So the people that are able to make decisions are generally the ones that I want on my team. I mean, does that make sense? Absolutely. And as a manager of that team, I don't have to micromanage every decision that they make. I can just trust that they'll make the decision from a place of, of empathy, caring, and knowledge and empowerment. And it does. Again, it goes one step further than that as well. It's, you have to have a company that's willing to do that. If you don't have a company that's willing to do that, the problem is that um, you're going to end up having a bunch of script readers. You're never going to be able to delegate responsibility to those people. And all the only thing that they're going to be able to do is pass it up the chain of command. And once it gets a hot, to a high enough level, that person's going to be able to make a decision. And by that time, you have a customer that's pretty frustrated on the other end of the phone or the end of, other end of the email chain or whatever it's going to be, but someone that's not exactly feeling the love. And that's what you want your customers to feel all the way through the process. We all know that problems are going to happen. When they do happen, it's how you're going to handle the resolution of the problem that really is going to show the true colors of the organization. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned by that time, you might have a pretty angry customer. You may have a pretty angry army of customers by then and not even know it. Oh yeah, and you and that's probably the worst thing that you could have today with social media and uh, and you know how easy it is to get your your message, good, bad, or indifferent, um, out to the world. I've had some really unpleasant experiences with uh, with a couple of utility companies, credit card company, throughout the the course of the last year or so. The moment that I say something on social media, it's amazing how quick their uh, their social media response team is all over that. Why does it have to go to a point where you're putting something on social media. Why can't you just have this conversation with somebody you know, over the phone and have them resolve it? Why does it have to go to the next step like a social media team? That's right. I often equate that with, I'm going to tell. I'm telling mom. <laughs> and as soon as we threaten to tell mom, yeah. it's like, okay, okay, we'll look after it. Well, when you have, and when you begin to develop a network, and uh, you know, I've been very fortunate over the last couple of years to develop a pretty sizable network on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. And sometimes I do it because I want to hear if my opinion is off, and sometimes I want to hear if um, if I was if I was um, justified in my uh, in my feeling. So I do run a bunch of stuff up, stuff up the flagpole to see where it sits with my community. Um, I oftentimes find that I uh, that I'm er- erring on the safe side, and they're like, I can't believe that you've put up with this for as long as you have. 
but that's just a reality of, of where business is right now. Everybody is testing the water with social media. Um, if you have a social media presence, you know, one of the warnings I always tell the companies that I work with is if you have a social media presence and you don't respond, get off social media. You know, I'd rather you not be on it than be on it and not respond to your customers. Mm -hmm. And the great thing, uh, the thing I also love about social media and interacting with companies on social media is that when I get a great experience, I can tweet at them just saying something like, you guys rock. Yeah, it's that process of catching people in the act of doing something right. I think I wrote a blog a long time ago about uh, about catching people in the act. Oftentimes today, too many people are trying to um, to admonish you and they're trying to uh, you know slap you on the wrist socially. And it's not often enough that we are thanking people or saying the right word, catching them in the act of doing something right. I think we all need to do a little bit more of that. Sure, sure. And with that in mind, if I'm a director or a manager and and perhaps my company isn't the kind of company that's really, really customer centric, but I would like it to be. What are some things that I might be able to do? And it might even be, it might be in terms of training or coaching or just in terms of the interactions that I have. What's a, what's a seed that I can plant in my company that might begin to take root? I would think that small or large, one of the areas that you should really start is internally within your organization. And if you start internally within your organization and you find out, if you if you survey your people, now listen, you have to be willing to take criticism because you're about to get hit with it, especially if it's anonymous. What you have to be willing to do is admit that there that if you know that the, your organization is not necessarily the most customer focused and you need to try to change that, steer that ship in a different direction, find out from your people what they think. They know. I, I promise you they know. Uh, they may not be willing to tell you for fear that they're, number one, their ideas are going to get implemented, but number two, that you're going to start focusing on them. They don't want the focus on them. I can tell you that, especially if they don't feel like they're a part of, a part of the quote unquote, the bigger picture of the organization if they're just an employee. So I would say start internally. That would be number one. Second thing that you can do is go outside. Find out from your customers what you're doing wrong. Again, be willing to be open to criticism because your customers are the ones that are going to tell you what's going on within your organization that they don't think is right. Once you have that feedback from inside and outside, get to work. Start making the change because that's what's going to happen. And I think I think once you've opened that Pandora's box, and I mean the Pandora's box in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> so that's a weird, yeah, yeah, kind of a sure. weird metaphor. But once you've opened that, you can't close it. You know, people start to get whiff that that uh, that change, positive changes in the air, and simply by that, by by virtue of that, change happens. And you have to be very careful as you're doing this, Pat. And I think one of the areas that most organizations fall down on, one of the areas that they really have a challenge with, is that they what I would call idea of the month. You know, they have this great idea that they're going to institute. The idea doesn't get off to a, to a rocket ship start, and so they abandon the idea. If you think that there's something that's worthy, I would say you need to give it a good period of time. That period of time completely is dictated by you, you know, the organization, the person, that manager, owner, entrepreneur, whatever it is. But even small organizations need to give things a uh, – a try and they need to change them. The only way to to uh, to really see if it's working is to give it enough time um, and uh, and test the waters and and do it often. Make make changes. Make changes. That's really going to help your organization. Sure. Really, really good advice. And again, Doug, thank you so much for your generosity today. I'm, I'm down to my maybe my last couple of questions and sure. you know, your generosity of insight as well as time. I really do appreciate it. And I'd like to get back to the idea of 
being a nice gal or a nice guy. And oftentimes in the workplace, it's not something that we think about overtly. And and we we certainly don't have a sense of how that can impact the customer experience, particularly if it's if if I'm not customer facing, I'm in meetings, I'm I I do reports, and I might talk to my frontline staff, maybe maybe not. Mm-hmm. So being a nice guy or a nice gal isn't necessarily something that's top of mind. What would be the value in changing that, or what can I do to to introduce the idea of being a nice guy into my business? I, I think that for the folks that are listening that, that have the jobs that do not um, approach the customer or the, or the jobs that are not uh, in the sales positions or the marketing positions, I think that it's a mistake to think that you're not affecting what's going on within your organization. Um, it, it all, part and parcel, have, have influence on what's going on with your customer. And to, to think that you're your environment that you're working in and the culture that you're creating um, is not essential for that customer in that customer experience to make a to make it positive. I think it's a mistake. I think what you need to do is you need to start by taking action immediately. And the immediate action could just be things like being in a better, you know, I, I hate to say it, but nobody really cares if you're in a bad mood. If I show up at my at, at a at a consult as a consultant, if I show up at somebody's office and I'm in a bad mood, they really don't care. All they, all they care, and I, and I get that. I mean, I get that. So I don't mean to say put on a false face, but I'm telling you something. It, by maintaining a positive nature, a great attitude, um, a, a, um, a uh, exemplary work ethic, by being on time every time, by being a nice guy, all of these things uh, really do contribute to an overall positive experience that will, believe it or not, trickle down to your customer. If you don't feel like that is reality, um, then, then you really are not a part of today's whatever this new organizational structure is. Uh, it really is the only way to go. Maintaining a positive uh, mindset, maintaining a positive attitude, um, finding, again, catching people in the act of doing something right, have, being open to conversation, um, being authentic, being genuine, being real, being a human being, the things that you are with your family when you're at a holiday dinner, that's the same attitude and approach you should be bringing to your office environment. should not be water cooler conversation as, as normal. It should not be backstabbing as normal. Fix it. Figure out how to get around that, how to get out of that mindset, eliminate the negativity from your life. Things always come out more positive when you are a positive person. What a great thought. Things always come out more positive when you are positive. There's a lot of power in that. Uh, yeah, I always I end my podcast by saying never underestimate the power of nice. And that is a that is <laughs> literally it's it's not just it's not just an expression. It is it is the reality of how one if you live your life this way, this is not an act. We have one shot to do this. And uh, and in order to do it right, why? Who wants to go around with stinking thinking? I mean, that's I, I'm not a rah rah kind of guy. I'm not the one that stands on my soapbox and say you got to be positive. You know, it's that's just not my nature. My nature is I'm a hardworking guy. I, I run a business, and the only people I want in my life are the ones that create um, a positive influence in a positive environment. I do not want to have negative in my life, and I do anything I can to eliminate it. If you call me, you know, a a, a dreamer because of that, then then I'm a dreamer. But I think it's possible to have that in your life. 
And if I may end our conversation on that very positive note, I think that's a that's an excellent thought to leave our listeners with. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. Absolutely. So, so thank you again, Doug Sandler. And uh, for information about Doug and his organization, please uh, refer to our show notes, as always. And uh, that will have a summary and high-level points of what we've talked about today. So thank you very much for listening. This has been uh, Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast. And have a wonderful day. That was Doug Sandler, living proof that you can both be nice and create a successful customer-centric business at the same time. For more information on Doug, go to his website, www.dougsandler.com. And if your business is founded on the principle of doing the right thing for your customer, Doug's podcast is a must-listen. I'm a regular listener. Until next time, I'm Pat Perdue, and today is your day to create a great customer experience for someone. So what are you waiting for? Go do it.